1: lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free
2: online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast.
1: Welcome to the Ramdas Fellowship live stream event with Ramdev. so glad you're here. I'm Jackie Dobrinska. I'm the Education and Community Outreach Director for the Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. And I'm just really excited to be with you all tonight as we find ways to connect um, through the community. And community is so important, especially during these times. Uh, Meister Eckhart is, has said that community is where our great gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Or in other words, this is how we feed each other is by coming together. And the Ramdas Fellowship is where we deepen these con- connections within the community. And we've been doing that by creating these virtual events and by supporting people in connecting to each other through local satsangs. It's sort of how we take the energy of the, the um, in-person events and keep it going. Um, if you're not a member of the fellowship, make sure you sign up by going to ramdas.org um, and you can search for fellowship there's a sign up through that. Um, this call started for, for just the fellowship, but due to these times, we've, we've increased it and invited the whole community to be a part. And so tonight it's available on ramdas.org, on Facebook, and on the YouTube channel as well. And throughout the evening, you can access the chat in any of those to ask questions. Um, we'll have a and a session at the end. So this format provides such an opportunity for this worldwide connection. Um, And so we come together in this space. And if we were in person, just by coming together, we create sort of this sacred ritual space. And when you're on these sort of virtual um, formats, it's really easy to get uh, distracted or a little disembodied. And so before we begin, I'm going to invite you to sort of settle into your space. Um, If you have a candle night nearby, maybe you light the candle Um, or just tune into the hundreds of people that are in this time together on this call, or just feel your feet on the ground and take a couple of nice big deep breaths and feel it in your body and feel it in your heart. And so tune into that loving awareness that you are. And now we enter into our satsang space together. And tonight, it is we're presenting the tools for spiritual healing in a time of uncertainty, and it's with Ramdev, and Ramdev, also known as Dale Borgman, Borglum. Sorry, um, founded and directed the Hanuman Foundation Dying Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which was the first residential facility in the United States to support conscious dying. He's been the executive director of the Living Dying Project in Santa Fe. And since 1986 in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's also the co-author with Ram Dass, Daniel Goleman, and Dwarka Bonner of Journey of Awakening, a Meditator's Guidebook, Bantam Books, and has taught meditation since 1974. Dale lectures and gives workshops on the topic of meditation, healing, spiritual support for those with life-threatening illnesses, and on caregiving as a spiritual practice. And so with that, I will turn it over to Ramdev
2: Thank you so much Jackie, it's really being it's really a pleasure to be here and Certainly this time we're living in this pandemic is uncovering so many opportunities for practice in Buddhist practice before one begins to practice there are contemplations that are done to deepen our level of practice and the first contemplation is You're going to die, but you don't know when there could be nothing more intellectually obvious than that But we at the same time push that to the back of our our consciousness if in fact During this webinar, we did not know that we were going to be alive at the end of This hour and a half or this hour and a quarter However long we're going to be together if we really didn't know we were going to be here then How would it affect the way we were willing to open to each other to love each other To be in this community in a very full way So I can give a spiritual pep talk, but that really is A contemplation how much can we Allow this this certainty of death but the uncertainty of its time to penetrate into us so that we Are much more willing to do the radical surrender dying into love I have been working with dying people as Jackie suggested for since back in the 1970s with Stephen Levine and Ramdas. We started the Dying Project. Then I changed the name to the Living Dying Project because I got tired of having to explain to people that they didn't really need to promise to die to work with us or beyond that, that the project itself was not dying, the Dying Project. Uh, but be that as it may, for all these years, I've been. Less to be with people who are approaching the end of their lives One of my first meditation teachers Trungpa Rinpoche said that until you come into intimate contact with death Your spiritual practice will have the quality of you being a dilettante So here we are during the pandemic. I think for many people almost everybody I talk to there is a level of anxiety that's arisen that was not so apparent before the lockdown, before the pandemic. And one of the things I've really been exploring with people is, is it necessary that uncertainty leads to anxiety? Uncertainty leads to stress. There's the uncertainty of when we're going to die. There's the uncertainty of, are we going to like this webinar? There's the uncertainty of, Is the virus coming in through the mail slot or is it coming in through your neighbor or your friend? But is it possible to use uncertainty? Not as something that's a problem or something that we're getting tight in relationship to But it's bringing juice to our life. It's bringing excitement in a certain way without of course denying that there are Millions of people who are really at risk now people are financially at risk medically at risk socially at risk in all kinds of different ways So Walt Whitman had this great quote. He said Sometimes touching another human being is almost more than I can bear Almost more than I can bear We've most of us experienced that But how often do we experience it? How often do we fall back into? one moment after the other in a a sort of a slightly disassociated way with our lives. So is it possible to use the pandemic, the 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 uncertainty that we're now living with as an inspiration for deeper practice, to plunge more deeply into our heart, to plunge more deeply into practice. And in my work with dying people, I have developed the healing paradigm that I found really useful both personally and for the for the people that I'm working with and it's it's rather straightforward the first step of healing is can we be mindful of what it is that's going on can we be with our moment-to-moment experience for many westerners however cultivating mindfulness in a way that we can integrate into our daily life is a really difficult thing many people are pretty good meditators they have a lot of devotion But then there's work, then there's the relationship, then there's the traffic jam and it gets much more difficult to actually be integrating practice into this daily activity The Dalai Lama on his third visit to America said now I'm beginning to understand And it makes me very sad. You Americans don't like yourselves and the reason that he was saying this pardon me as i put this back in the reason he was saying this is because most of these eastern practices from hinduism and buddhism were developed a few thousand years ago for people who were grounded and centered who loved their mommy and daddy who didn't have an iphone or didn't have an automobile it was assumed before you began this big project of disidentifying with character structure with ego structure and identifying with true nature that you were grounded and centered, that you were inhabiting your bottom chakras—the first, second, and third chakras—and then you could begin this big project of dissolving into the spaciousness of the heart, the boundless heart, the heart of compassion, the heart of loving kindness. Ramdas, for the whole first part of his life, he talked about "be here now, be here now," just being present. But as his life continued, he he began to uh, transition into his main teaching was Be here now with loving awareness, not just awareness, but loving awareness it's hard to find the courage to Stay in the heart when the environment is challenging If we have not done some of this foundation work. So for my own self, I'm a recovering mathematician Believe it or not. I have a PhD in mathematics Uh, I don't know if you can imagine what that did to my mind. I went right from Stanford to Maharaji, it was like very discontinuous i needed to come back to america and really work with getting into my body so that i've been finding for a lot of people that's incredibly useful at the beginning of the healing path or the beginning of a meditation practice to spend some time getting embodied as we began today jackie said feel your feet And I think that's really a great way to start practice But even beyond that to begin to do some grounding breaths some centering breaths as you breathe out drop down into the base of your torso As you breathe out drop down into the lower belly the horror the place from which martial arts are done And I would even suggest as we're doing this webinar. It's not so much about collecting information that's going to be useful, but can we be living this together can we be As i'm talking about being grounded. What does it feel like? To trust that the mother mother earth that which grounds the earth element mother mother that that is creating and uh, generating support and Nourishment that is always there that we can tune into And in fact this whole this whole pandemic where so many people are Having to stay home. It's almost like the mother said you've been bad boys and girls and you're going to have to take a time out now and uh i want you to go into your room and really think about what you've been doing how you haven't been taking care of the planet how you haven't been grounded and really feeling that sense of support and when you're ready then you can come out and play again so many people have meditated for a long time uh, when they came to some of my groups and I really encouraged them to start dropping down into the base, feeling the root chakra, and then the second and third chakra, feeling the the power, the sense of being centered, it really changed their practice. And it might be, I don't know how much time we'll have, how much talking, how much meditating, a QA, but it might be we could do a short guided meditation that we bring in these notions of of dropping down into the belly, dropping down into the Uh, Down into being grounded. So being grounded is what we learn the first couple years of life Little baby zero to two years old learning to trust that she Is being supported and that's the the immediate antidote to fear when we feel ungrounded like many people do during the the pandemic the the immediate antidote is to drop down and and feel that sense of support that it's safe to be dependent that the mother is protecting us maharaji said you cannot realize god until you understand the mother and understanding the mother might be of course the work of a lifetime but at least one part of it is the sense of trusting the nourishment that's always there trusting that the guru that the mother is always supportive okay and then from the ages like 18 months to four or five it's about dropping down into the belly moving from dependence to independence, learning that now one can go into the world and manifest, that there's a sense of being centered, that here I am and I'm doing what it is that that the universe is calling forth from me. And that's the antidote to feelings of guilt and shame. Then at the age of five or so, children start learning about conscious relationships. Loving awareness, not just awareness. Can I actually have conscious relationship? and basically what we're doing here is we're Implying that there can be a healing path. So the first step in healing is can I be present enough? To be with what it is that's going on. Can I be grounded and centered? Can I be mindful? so that the the embodied sense of uh mindfulness is this grounding and centering and then uh so ages zero to five we're learning to be embodied to be present for what it is that's going on and then from ages five to eight we're learning about going into the heart and This then suggests that if a difficult emotion arises fear anxiety grief The first thing is can we be with it what does it feel like to have this experience usually when fear arises we get very busy being triggered uh and focused on the trigger it's not that i'm just feeling fear but i'm afraid of getting sick i'm afraid of going broke i'm afraid that my relationship might not work out i'm afraid that my meditation practice is not uh bearing fruit in the way that I had hoped that it might be able to do that right so we we become aware of what does it feel like to be afraid what does it feel like to have anxiety is it possible to feel uncertainty and not even move into anxiety is it possible to be with the uncertainty of this world now and just be with the feelings and then begin to have compassion for the part of me that's having those feelings self-compassion self-love is really in my humble experience the central focus the the turning point in spiritual practice that we can't really love other people we can't really have compassion for other people until we have been able to work with some of these places deeply with in our own psyches so A Difficult emotion arises. Can I have compassion for that part of myself if I'm not feeling? Independent autonomous and this being who's down there in my belly It's going to be really hard to do that and it's going to be really hard to be centered if I'm not trusting groundedness So there are these developmental stages that Eventually will allow us to be able to keep our heart open even if the environment is not being supportive The Dalai Lama said, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. So just imagine how simple your life would be if the motivation for your actions were compassion. Not, do they like me? Am I getting enough? Uh, What's going on here? But what is the compassionate thing to do? What is it that will bring more compassion into the world? So initially, we're practicing to get grounded and centered so that we can be present. But then the motivation begins to be, how can I serve? And this, this Love, Serve, Remember Foundation is, of course, uh, based on love for Hanuman, using the notion of selfless service as the way we're expressing devotion. There's the story of the Ramayana, the story of Rama and Sita and Hanuman, and Ram and Sita get separated. Sita gets kidnapped by the demon Ravana. And the, the male part of God and the female part of God can't find each other until Hanuman, devotion through selfless service, helps them come back together. So that the selfless service, maybe during the pandemic, maybe it doesn't mean uh, you're going out and actively doing things. Maybe it's sitting in your room and doing compassion practice for all people who are suffering. I've been working with a lot of groups, and all of my face-to-face groups have turned into Zoom groups, and people are often being overwhelmed by how much suffering is going on in the world now. If, in fact, they start doing practice for all beings, feel some connection with all beings, then in a very real way, uh, as the heart gets bigger, the heart is large enough that it contain all that suffering, and all that suffering is still there, but it's contained in a much, much larger uh, container, if you will. Just as an example, there was uh, some studies done a number of years ago using psychedelics as a a psychotherapeutic agent to help people who had fear of death. And uh, people in the study had, quote, terminal cancer, unquote. They had three guided sessions. After the three sessions, uh, they did the study, and people had a lot less fear of death. What they found that really surprised them was that many of these people, when they entered the study, had a great deal of physical pain because they had terminal cancer. But that the, the psychedelic sessions had statistically, in a highly statistically significant way, reduced the need for pain medication. Even though psychedelics have no pain-relieving properties. But if I think that I'm five, eight, eight inches tall and weigh 170 pounds, then X amount of pain bouncing around inside of me can be a real big problem. But if I, on the other hand, have this experience that leads me to believe I'm the whole universe, then that pain isn't such a big problem anymore. So doing practice for all beings rather than no, I'm practicing here so I can get enlightened for me really deepens my practice it really is a a deeper sense of motivation that uh brings me back to practice again and again and again when i I talk to people i i've got a guy in one of my groups who lives in the bronx and he hasn't gone out the front door for six weeks He's been in his apartment in the Bronx for six weeks. He says it's totally silent there. You can't hear anything. It's like a deserted city except ambulances back and forth all day and all night. Ambulances taking people to the to the hospital. And he's he's when you hear the ambulance, does that close your heart, or can that be the signal to open your heart to the person in the ambulance where the ambulance is going? Okay, so I see that there are some questions coming and uh part of what i was hoping to do here is instead of me doing just a really long talk if there are some questions coming up maybe jackie could find the good ones and uh let me know what they are and we'll take some breaks in the in the lecturing thing here and begin to have some more interactive part of it So. What I'm finding is that these somatic practices help create a foundation that allows our heart to be open. Ah, uh, something from JR here that I'm not quite understanding how to deal with. Okay, I see. Okay, so okay.
1: So I'll read them to you. Okay. Um, yeah. So one of the questions that's coming up is: Is technology interfering with our chi?
2: <laughs> That's a great question. Is, is technology interfering with our chi? So, uh, so, as I was saying before, there are these developmental stages, zero to two, you learn to be grounded, two to five, you learn to be centered, five to eight, this opening the heart thing is about having appropriate boundaries. And, uh, I remember when we were with Maharaji, he would eat poison. He, he, somebody gave him some arsenic and he took a whole mouthful of it. Nothing happened to him at all. So that if you identify as I'm, I'm really sensitive that having my, my router on close to my bed or that I'm on zoom all day long, I'm looking at a screen all day long. If you identify with, I'm somebody who's going to be bothered by that, it's probably going to Bother you? I just read this like amazing article in the New York Times two days ago, and what they came up with was that they studied three groups of people, thirty thousand people. They studied the first group had high stress, and they felt that being stressed uh, was not good for them, and they were forty three percent more likely to die than the people who didn't feel that way. The second group had high stress but they thought, this is okay, I can work with this. And the third group had low stress, but the second group that, that, that had high stress uh, were healthier than the ones with low stress because they were using the energy. Okay, so, so basically, uh, we've talked about uh, awareness practice, mindfulness practice, then the second stage is heart practice. But the third stage is Tantra, seeing difficulty as an opportunity. So uh, is it possible that there's this opportunity with the pandemic? There's this opportunity with all this information that's coming in through your screen that increases your chi. It, it's, really, it's really a lot about how much are you loving the mother. The mother isn't just the lack of electronics. The mother is everything. The beloved can only be everything. Uh, Thomas Merton had this great quote, love and prayer are learned in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and the heart turns to stone. So that in some ways, being on Zoom all day is a little bit difficult. It's not as nice as being outside in nature, or being with your friends, but at the same time, can we work with the ways that that begins to close our heart? There's more energy, there's, I, I'm communicating with people all around the planet now, almost every day and to the extent that i'm feeling connected that's chi that i can work with that's chi that that feeds me that's chi that uh can be shared so that there is there is is no shortage of chi or prana or shakti in the world it is our sense that i'm separate from maharaji i'm separate from god i have to protect myself i'm this limited being so that Yes, we are limited. We have a body. One day the body's going to get sick and die. Maharaji died of a heart attack. Rama, Ramana Maharshi died of cancer. Ramakrishna died of cancer. You got a body, you're going to die. It's going to happen. But at the same time, I remember one time we were with Maharaji and Ramdas was having a bad day. And he came up to Maharaji and said, I'm really having a bad day. I feel so impure. I'm so angry at, at a few people. And Ramdas uh, had on long sleeves and Maharaji looked up the sleeve of his shirt and said i don't see any impurity so can we see the sacred in everything once the heart opens enough through devotional practice through mantra through prayer uh, through tonglen through cultivating compassion when the heart becomes spacious enough when the heart becomes connected enough that then leads to the stage of tantra where we begin to see it all as sacred even the dark mother. So God is just not the nice part. God is also the difficult part. God is God is COVID, God is cancer, God is war, God is Donald Trump. God is, one of the lines I have now in my groups which just drives people crazy is, when you are dying, Donald Trump will be at your bedside. Okay, now for the people who hate him, that drives them crazy. And for people who love him, that drives them crazy too. It's not that he's going to be there physically, of course, but any place where you are caught up in that image of him leading you into unconscious reactivity, that's still going to be part of your life as you're you're dying. And in some very fundamental way, spiritual practice, life itself, is preparation for dying, not in a morbid sense, but even learning to die into the moment, learning to die into this next moment. Can we die with love into this next moment with loving awareness? And to the extent we can do that, then electronics, no electronics, it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's, all, uh, it's all good. But at the same time, we have to be aware enough that there are places where you and I are caught, that if you're on Zoom all day, uh, your brain gets fried and you've got to take a break. So it's both at the same time that certainly there is the case that uh, it's all perfect and it's all it's all God. Suzuki Roshi said, we're all perfect, but there's still room for improvement. And that place where there's still room for improvement is the place where we're still getting caught. So it's, uh, it's both at the same time. Any other great questions there? Yeah. Thank you for that. That's such a good reminder um, on all these pieces.
1: So there's another question here um, from, it looks like, Louie on YouTube. You talked about the stages of development. Is that an analogy for spiritual development stages?
2: So, uh, yeah. The, the stuff I'm teaching is nothing new. But what I think I found that I heard, haven't heard anybody else say, that there is a remarkably consistent parallel between Piaget's stages of early childhood development the unfolding of the buddhists system of yana's hinayana mahayana vajrayana zogchen the awakening of the chakras uh other stages of somatic theory they're all really saying that there are, there are these developmental stages mm-hmm. that you can't really rest in your heart until you've learned to be centered and Present and be able to be who you are, and it's hard to be who you are in the martial art of being you until you've trusted this dependence that the mother is taking care of you. So that maybe this is a great uh, spot to plug myself. That if you go to the Living Dying Project website, livingdying.org, there's a lot of free talks that go into the stuff much more deeply than we're going to have a chance to today. Uh, video, audio, text files. I also have a podcast channel on the Be Here Now Network along with Ramdas and das and Ragu and the whole cast of characters, Jack and Joseph and Jackie and everybody. So uh, and Sharon, all that stuff is there. Uh, there's also an online workshop that goes into this much more deeply that could prepare you for deeper practice or for working with people who might be approaching the end of their life.
1: So, Devin asks, I've come to find that surrendering to deep loss and deep love often leave me to the same place of tears, connection, and overwhelm. How do we practice holding space for it all, even in overwhelm?
2: So, that's a great question. That's a really great question. Uh, Grief are the emotions that arise to feeling separate, it's not just being sad because somebody died or because somebody left but somebody cuts you off in traffic and you get angry. That's a grief reaction because you're not feeling connected to that person. We're feeling separate. Compassion, on the other hand, the compassionate heart has some really important defining qualities. The compassionate heart is connected, connected to self, connected to each other, connected to God. The compassionate heart is spacious and the compassionate heart is warm. So Rumi has this... Wonderful quote. He says grief is the garden of compassion when we're feeling Grief can we transmute the feelings of grief and separation? Into feelings of compassion and connectedness It's an ongoing process. Everybody in this room is grieving if if Even if even if you're not paying attention to the pandemic Even if you haven't anybody close to you die lately we're all grieving because we have lost parts of our childhood we have lost parts of our identity you probably lost some pets along the way or there's all this loss so that can we use that loss to show us where we're caught in separateness and do conscious grief work so that occasionally you you go into a protected sacred place your bedroom in front of your altar out in nature and you invite the griefs to come And instead of saying, I'm grieving because of the pandemic, I'm grieving because somebody died, I'm overwhelmed by this grief, what does it feel like to have these feelings? Going back to that healing paradigm that I was talking about, the first step is feeling what's going on, clear, mindful, embodied awareness. What is it like to be in my body right now feeling grief? And then the next step is, can I then open to what that feels like with an open heart? now there's two things to do not just be aware but be aware with 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 compassion and in fact psychologists have done these studies that to no big surprise mindfulness leads to a greater sense of well-being but they've recently discovered that mindfulness plus compassion now there's two things to do moves you much more quickly into a sense of well-being and just even more recently they discovered that if you meditate on emptiness the tantric nature of things then it's even much more quickly than the other two stages but we have to start where we are can we be mindful of where we're lost in grief can we have compassion for that place in ourselves and can we then realize that it's all it's all maharaji it's all it's all the mother there's this wonderful poem uh by uh ram prasad sen one of my favorite Poets and he was a great devotee of Kali and he said mother in this lifetime Either you will devour me or I will devour you and I make the vow that it is you that I will devour And what he was meaning there is that we're devoured By life when we're overwhelmed by our feelings when we're identified with there's this me Perceiving an objective separate reality but when we're devouring, when we're really present, in loving awareness, then we're devouring the mother. And I just love that image of devouring the mother moment to moment, and then we get lost and she devours us for a while. Who's devouring whom?
1: That's a beautiful image. Thank you for that. Um, it also sounds like you're, you gave us the step-by-step process um, for us to not fall back into those habitual patterns of being closed down. Um so there's another question here um from Ryan who says Ramdas he mentions that Ramdas tells Maharaji you can't send me back to America I'm too, too impure uh what do you think he meant by that? or what do you think about that?
2: <laughs> I lived with Ramdas after we came back from uh uh India and, uh, in several places in London and New Mexico and California. And I think all of us felt pretty impure. Uh, and I think it's easy to assume that being with Maharaji was this wonderful, amazing, great thing. And it was. But at the same time, it was really, really difficult because we felt impure. We were bringing our neurosis to the feet of the guru. And uh, he would, he would, sh- he, how can I say this? The function of the guru is to show you that you are whole, that he loved me no matter how neurotic I was being. But yet, my sanskaras, my conditioning was so strong, as was Ramdas's, that even though we had been uh, hours almost every day with Maharaji for months and months and months, that all those early childhood traumas or all what happened in, in high school or all those things that happened. That was still part of our conditioning. It wasn't that those things just disappeared because we we're with Maharaji. And it was scary to think that, okay, now I'm gonna go back to America where my parents live and where uh, my, I have to make money and have to do all those things. Am I pure enough to really keep uh, this this connection with Maharaji? And yes, it, 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 it didn't work out so easily for most of us. It was a, a real struggle. To, to keep Maharaji in our hearts as we were going about a really busy life. And let me just tell you this one interesting story. I was uh, in front of Maharaji at the, the temple in Kenshi, and I had the lucky spot that day where I was right up front and I had his, I was able to be massaging his feet. And I felt so lucky, I'm massaging his feet and I'm saying my mantra that he had given me and just feeling overwhelming love. And then after five minutes of this, I started feeling proud that I had Maharaji's foot. And as soon as I started feeling proud, he started pulling his foot away. And I went right back to my mantra. And I got back to just love and God's name and Maharaji's foot and it's all one. And that went on for a while. And then I got back to, oh, look at how lucky I am to be here right now and as soon as there was an egocentric thought he started pulling his foot away again and i went back to doing the love thing and it was just even it was so clear that even though i wasn't saying anything he could feel the energy of me thinking an impure thought whatever that is and those impure thoughts followed me and ramdas and everybody really back to america so that uh, they say in India that the job of the guru takes place in that very first second, where he shows you this is the possibility. There's this great book that uh, that Parvati Marcus put together called "Love Everybody." I believe is that the name "Love Everybody," and uh, it's the stories of Westerners meeting Maharaji, and almost everybody in that book had the same line: "When I met Maharaji, I felt like I was finally home for the first time in my life." But then we had to take that feeling of home and come back to physical home, which was not quite so easy. And it's, sti- it's still work. I mean, my sense about the pandemic is that we've been floating along on the surface of the water, like the water of life. And there's, there's this big iceberg and we can see 10% of it. And then the pandemic knocks you out of your boat and you go under the water and you see there's another 90% of fear and grief and anxiety, all this stuff. It was there all along but you didn't really look at it hardly ever because you're so busy being active on the on the top of the surface there so this is this incredible opportunity for awakening uh, my first meditation teacher a lot of quotes are coming out of me today for some reason suzuki roshi said the most important thing is finding the most important thing what is the most important thing for you so that If the most important thing is getting free, then this pandemic is this fantastic opportunity. If the most important thing, on the other hand, is feeling safe or being happy or feeling connected to people, then the pandemic is like a nightmare maybe, right? So that uh, even before becoming mindful and the heart thing and then the tantric, even before that, there's the stage of cultivating motivation. And for most of us, we came to spiritual practice because we were suffering so much. There's some unusual people like Joseph Goldstein. He came to the Dharma because just he loved the Dharma. But for round us and me and almost everybody, you know, we came to the Dharma because we were suffering so much we wanted some freedom from suffering. So
1: Yeah, that's how I think why many of us come. Um, this is from Pamela. So after my mother died, I fell in love with someone who turned out to be a sociopath. It put me in a place of such separateness and so detached from love. How do you forgive abusive people? And also how do we connect to love when the people we love the most are no longer with us?
2: Okay. A lot of good questions. So I was talking to somebody else just earlier today about keeping their heart open to Trump, but she's a student of mine and she's telling her friends that she feels compassion for Trump and they're all angry at her. A lot of them are angry with her because they feel that he doesn't deserve her love. And compassion for somebody that's hurt you is not about approving of what they did or liking them or ever wanting to be around them again. Compassion and forgiveness is about yourself. It's about can you keep your heart open even when the concept or the memory of this other person shows up? It's about healing you so that there's, like when I said before, that Donald Trump will be at your bedside when you're dying, so will your sociopathic ex boyfriend be at your bedside when you're dying. Any place that you're still holding on to, rejecting, pushing away, that's going to be part of your character structure. That's going to be what's let go of as you're going through the dying process and if you're still grabbing onto that that's going to limit the spiritual possibility of the dying process so one could do a forgiveness practice or a compassion a compassion practice we uh there's there's uh, a practice called tong len t-o-n-g-l-e-n uh there might be time to do a guided tong len practice at the end of the day here i'm not sure But if there's not, Payment Children talks about it. I have some guided Tonglen uh, files on the Living Dying Project website. You go to the education link and there it is. Uh, So, Or you could just do forgiveness practice. And just suppose your boyfriend's name was Joe. Probably wasn't, but you can just start working with, Joe, I forgive you. And even though you don't, yet maybe you can just imagine what that might feel like Stephen Levine told me that he, he he had such a hard time forgiving himself that he worked for years saying Stephen I forgive you just imagining what that might feel like and one day it happened one day he felt forgiven and when he felt forgiven he felt I felt so naked I wanted to take all that guilt back again but decided not to do it good for Stephen okay so can you, can you begin to open your heart to that? And as we were talking before about Tantra or the mother, it's all the mother. The sociopath is the mother. The pandemic is the mother. It's the dark mother. It's Kali, it's Durga, it's Shiva, destroying, devouring. And that eventually we have to open to the dark as well as to the light. Uh, the Tibetans say that when you're dying, the first thing that happens Or one of the first things that happens right after you die is you encounter a light that's as bright as a thousand suns And that light is your true nature And of course the secret is that right now you and I Are living in that light you and I are enlightened already, but we're so busy fixated on I'm here in california, and you guys are scattered all over the planet That it's hard to remember that we're this one consciousness one being that's flowing through us And we we get lost in the separatist which is also real But forgetting the context of the spiritual oneness So to the extent that we can keep going back to This sense of it's all the mother. It's all part of what can be Be open to and of course that's going to be a process. It's going to it's bringing together our psychological woundedness And our spiritual practice and it goes back and forth and it's certainly not a simple thing and it's not an easy thing it means being able to love your own woundedness, have compassion for the place where you were abandoned or neglected or hurt as you were growing up. It, at times when you were really vulnerable and unable to take care of yourself, you needed support. Can we have faith and trust that God is supporting us now, that, that everything is the path? There is nothing that's not the healing path. Nothing is a distraction from the path. The the electronics is the path. The 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 uh, difficult boyfriend is the path.
1: So meaningful. So needed to hear that. Um, so this one comes from Susanna. She's a hospice worker, and she says, "My mother died three years ago, and it transformed my life forever." I was sad, but it was so incredible because she was so intentional and conscious. How do I support others who have this who, how do I support others who have this as a
2: hospice worker? Who have this? I don't quite understand the language that could be
1: Yeah, I think what it's saying is um to have this intention and consciousness in their dying process.
2: Okay. Well, I've been working with dying people uh, with Ram Dass and Steven since like 1978. So that's 88, 98, 08. It's almost like 40 years, over 40 years, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. So uh, the deep and dirty, the, the, the dark and dirty secret is that there's no special qualities or talents or tricks needed to be with people who are dying. That exactly the same qualities that help you be present right now in this room in your body being grounded being centered being generous being kind being open-hearted being forgiving seeing that it's all true nature are exactly the qualities that help you die well now we've really only talked about the first few stages of the healing process there's The mindfulness stage embodied mindfulness there's the heart stage uh, loving kindness compassion gratitude forgiveness there's the tantric stage that we are that which we invoked in the beginning the guru is none other than our own true nature but then there's non-duality what eckhart tolle talks about what ramana harshi talks about what i talk about what a lot of people talk about and that's really crucial here because what we die into is that non-duality we die into oneness and to the extent that we can practice that now as a meditation process or being in nature or being with music or being with a child or an animal going beyond the I who's doing it so it in this healing uh unfoldment de- development initially there is I am being aware, I'm being aware of the content. I'm mindful of the content. And then we get to the the heart stage, we're not so interested in the content as we are our relationship with the content. Do I have a loving relationship with the content? Do I have a compassionate relationship with the content? Can I forgive? Can I be present in a heartfelt way? And then we get to the tantric stage, where We're not interested so much even in the relationship, but the nature of things itself the nature is that it's all sacred It's all the mother. It's all a, it's all a devotional unfolding. It's all our embracing of uh, Our experience no matter whether it's pleasant unpleasant or neutral, but then finally when we're going into this with deep enough devotion and and this this tantric understanding Finally, it all becomes one and that's what we die into so that to the extent we've done some some practice or some Non-practice like one of the slogans in non dual Zou practice, is No meditation. No distraction nobody's meditating because there's nobody and Nothing is a distraction because it's all the beloved no meditation. No distraction to the extent we get there then dying is just another moment of that so that I do teach people how to be conscious caregivers, compassionate caregivers, but the deepest practice is not the tricks of doing Tonglen or doing the Ah Breath or doing Poa or different practices that are talked about on the website. The deepest practice is how deeply can I be resting in wholeness when I'm around someone who's dying? Because when someone is dying, that's kind of a finger pointing at you that you're going to die too, that's going to uncover the fear of death in you. All fear, all fear is basically fear of death. As my as a recovering mathematician, I've got this equation. All fear equals fear of death, and fear of death equals lack of enlightenment. Any place where we're afraid, there's an I who's afraid of that out there, other than I, and that's lack of enlightenment. There's nothing other than self, nothing. So that when we find fear, that can be good news. Suffering is grace, as Ram Dass said. Can we take our our fear of death? Can we take our uh, difficult emotions that are arising due to the pandemic to social distancing and all the other uncertainty? And can that be grace? Because it's per- perfectly pointing at, here's what you do next. Here's what you need to do next to really awaken.
1: Nice, thank you. This is from Isabel. Um, she says, hi, thanks for this event. My question would be, how to not be overwhelmed by all that, sufferance, that w- suffering that we see in humans and animals, and to accept that we can't prevent every being from suffering? Okay.
2: Well, that's, that's a very deep question, Isabel, and there's all kinds of answers to it. One answer is that suffering is only suffering. Cancer doesn't cause suffering. Pandemic doesn't cause suffering. Divorce doesn't cause suffering resistance to cancer resistance to pandemic resistance to divorce So if we go more deeply into that initial stage of mindfulness and actually begin to get how suffering is arising That suffering is not the result of the environment. It's our relationship with it. You might start with unpleasant physical sensation and how we tend to in a very automatic way begin to resist unpleasant sensations we're always scratching and there's the whole don't touch your face thing which got cultivated some mindfulness maybe but what i'm getting at here is when we really begin to get how suffering is arising why it's from our resistance it's our attachment then suffering becomes grace and uh as we as we can really get in a deep way how suffering is grace, the mind begins to stabilize. It's not trying to get away from suffering. And then the heart can begin to open. And the nature of the heart, as I mentioned before, one of the fundamental qualities of the heart is emptiness or spaciousness. There is room in the heart for all of the suffering in the universe. Every sentient being, every animal, every human being, all the people who are homeless, who are, are, Wondering how they're going to feed their children because of the pandemic or because of famine or because of war. there's room for all of that. And a very useful practice that I've been finding for people is to practice for everybody now to and if you can't do that, then can you practice for the part of you that's overwhelmed by the suffering of everybody? Okay, so you sit down and say, "I'm going to do compassion practice for the suffering of all sentient beings." And you sit down. And you feel overwhelmed by that. So then you say, okay, I'm going to do compassion practice for the part of me that's overwhelmed by all that suffering. Uh, I could do Tonglen for that, or I could just imagine suffering me in front of meditating me and begin to really feel compassion for how much that part of you has suffered because of this particular pattern.
1: Nice. You've mentioned the Tang Lin practice a couple times, so I want people to know that we'll put that up on the Ramdas Fellowship pages so that they can have access to that link. Great. Um, Lee asks, this is sort of continuation, please speak more about compassion for my fear. Is this comfort for myself? I have a history of looking outside myself for comfort.
2: No, it's not distracting from your own... uh, It's not... Okay, so... Uh, the Dalai Lama says that one of the defining qualities of compassion is the ability to equalize and switch yourself with another person. Okay, so it's a little more obvious when we're talking about somebody out there. You see somebody who's suffering, and can you feel equal to them? It's not—it's not compassion for somebody. It's compassion with. It's being with the other person suffering. Uh, can you be with the suffering of all suffering on the planet? Uh, and if you're overwhelmed by that, then what can you have compassion for? So, uh, could you read the question again? I apologize.
1: Yes, hang on. I'm going to scroll back up to it. Um, please speak about compassion for my
2: fear. Okay. Is this
1: comfort sure. for myself? I have a history of looking outside myself for comfort.
2: Okay, so that, so that in, in Buddhism, there's a near and far, far, far enemy for uh, wholesome qualities. So the far enemy of compassion is feeling indifferent. I don't care that you're suffering, that's your problem. But the near enemy of compassion is pity. And we can feel sorry for ourselves to the extent that you're pulling away from your own fear. You're pushing it away. You're trying to avoid it. That's creating more suffering. What does it feel like when you're pushing away fear? There's, if you really pay attention, to what's going on in your body, in your belly, in your heart, in your shoulders? There's suffering there. If you can actually be with, in, in clear awareness, and then open your heart to that, then the suffering begins to uh, dissipate in the vast spaciousness that is the heart. So that this, these, these open-hearted qualities that are being connected to. And being spacious around, I find very, very useful metaphorically as a way of dealing with difficult emotions, particularly fear. Fear is the most difficult of all emotions. It's it's the one right down there, the very basis of the unconscious. So if we can be with, can you be with the fear? Not with the trigger, not with what I'm afraid of. It's not I'm afraid of that stuff out there, the people out there, that situation out there. No, it's being... With what does it feel like in my body to be afraid and can I can I? Begin to bear those feelings and to the extent you can and then that you can be open-hearted to those Sensations they will begin to dissipate because the heart is boundlessly spacious We we're, we're concerned that this pain is so deep that it's going to overwhelm me and at times it will At times it will become overwhelming and then you have compassion for feeling overwhelmed. So it's a very simple but very difficult process of am I motivated enough to do this work? And the beginning of the work is to be with what is going on here, be embodied, having, having embodied mindfulness, letting go of all the stories and the narratives, just being with it the way it is, and then opening my heart to that, loving it, or if there's suffering, can I have compassion for that? Stephen Levine defined compassion as the ability to keep your heart open in hell. For many of us, that's a lifetime's job. And the fact that you're even asking the question is really uh, very great news.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, Zach asks, as far as your own practice today, do you find that those old neuroses have dissolved through practice over time? Or have you learned to make friends with them and not get caught in them as much?
2: It's some of both. Ramdas us had this great line, I don't know how true it is. He said, if you're a son of a bitch and get enlightened, you would be an enlightened son of a bitch. And yet I think if you're too much of a son of a bitch, it's hard to get enlightened because you're not opening your heart and things like that. So my personality over the years, I've been meditating since the 1960s, has gotten less quirky. But I'm still I'm still this neurotic guy. I just don't care about it anymore. That's not who I am. That's just that's the package, if you will. That that uh, who I am is is pure conscious. And who I am is Uh, a manifestation of Maharaji's love. And yes, uh, at times I identify with the separateness and I, I, I go to body workers and I haven't been in therapy for a long time, but I try to pay attention to my you know, how is neurosis getting in the way of being effective in the world? But even when it's getting in the way of being effective, to keep remembering that that's not who I am. It's all the beloved. I can just relax into that. I can go beyond trying. Can practice become resting in rather than trying to do something? Am I approaching practice from this neurotic standpoint of a sense of impoverishment and and and, and inadequacy that I'm trying to get somewhere or am I going into practice from a sense of wholeness and romance and fullness That that really all I need to do is be with what's going on because it's all God unfolding.
1: Oh, hallelujah. You just let us all off the hook about being perfect in all of this. Um, <laughs> that perfectionist mind can come in in so many ways. So that's uh, so fabulous. Um, uh, there's a question here that says Ramdas said he is a soul. Is there still a Ramdas soul, or has he dissolved into non duality with no trace
2: of his individual soul? I mean, now that he's died, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not that interested in what happens after you die, whether it's heaven and hell or reincarnation or Shirley MacLaine or whatever it is. What I'm interested in is what do we need to know and do to be more awake and alive this next moment? How alive am I? How alive are you willing to be? And the more we go into that, then the more we die fully. and uh, then the the soul that survives death, if such a thing happens, is more fully uh, surrendered into. I don't know. Language is failing me a bit right now. So, I guess what I would say is that mo- the the closest I can come to having a picture of how this all works is that. I'm a candle and you're a candle, everybody's a candle, and everybody's candle has an individual flame. That my flame is not the same as your flame. And just as I'm about to die, just as I'm dying, God takes another candle and lights it from my candle. My candle goes out, and then there's this new candle. And the, so that, and the flame of the new candle is completely determined by the quality of the old candle. So that is there a soul, when when Ram Dass gets saying, I'm a soul, I, was, I don't know, I was, I, to say I was uncomfortable with that term is maybe too strong, but to me it's more like we're all true nature, we're all Maharaji, we're all God, uh, whether you call it a soul or true nature. And I have a very, very deep faith that that does, sur- that does survive death. But it's not necessarily that Ramnas' soul is hanging out in some other plane of existence and is like showering grace on everybody that 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 it's on to the next thing in some way that the world's religions argue about how that happens and i don't really want to get into that argument
1: very buddhist of you
2: <laughs> yeah. I tried to get out of the answer there as best I could. So.
1: Um, Brittany asks, what type of meditation or mantra can I do to help with dealing with my past trauma related to death?
2: Okay, well, uh, it's hard to generalize without knowing you and and knowing what your character structure is, but just in general, first of all if being grounded doing a grounding meditation is a, a very direct antidote to fear and then doing some heart kind of meditation to forgive yourself for being caught in this to do tong for yourself one of the most powerful healing practices i know is to identify the place with the deepest honesty you can find here's the place that i am most caught and then imagine that part of you in front of you and you can see the suffering on that face of that part of you and then you go into meditation and you begin to do tonglen uh taking the suffering with compassion and sending the antidote with loving kindness focusing on how much compassion can i have for how you suffered how much loving kindness can i give to you and in doing this generally we do the opposite thing generally we take in the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff. Here we're taking in the bad stuff and sending out the good stuff. We're actually cutting at the root, the place of self-clinging, self-cherishing. It's a very liberating practice to be willing to uh, take in the suffering of part of yourself or somebody else or even a whole group of people. I mean, could could we sit here at the end of the, the day today and spend five minutes breathing in the suffering of, all the people who are frightened because of covid and sending out the antidote a feeling of of strength or or confidence or courage with loving kindness breathing in with compassion breathing out with loving kindness the antidote uh and just in doing that just in even beginning to pretend fake it till you make it that you can open to all that suffering rather than be overwhelmed by it is a very healing healing process.
1: There's actually a request for that. So let's take the last five minutes and do that
2: practice if you're open to it. Yes, let's do that.
1: Okay. So let's just, we'll take a couple more questions and then move into that. Okay. Okay.
2: It, it um, might take more, it might take more like seven or eight minutes, but let's take one more question. Okay. That, ooh, that's going to be hard. Okay. Um, two questions. For okay, me. okay, great. Hey.
1: Um, so this is from Dan. It says, do we practice forgiveness or do we allow it?
2: <laughs> Trick question. Okay, Dan. Well, if you can just allow it, that's great. But for for a lot of people, a lot of the time, it takes practice. It's not. It's not a natural thing. Uh, there's a lot of conditioning behind not forgiving people. And if so, I'm a guy, and a lot of the way that I do my teaching, I've noticed in the past years has come out of. A Male-oriented. Here's a way to do things and fix things. But the longer and longer I practice I really get that practice is more about receiving grace allowing Surrendering and getting beyond doing But to the extent that you think you have to do then you probably got to do some doing And then you do enough that you fig- you get to the point. Well, I-, I don't have to do this so much anymore I can allow it to happen because grace is there and keep your eyes out for that that awakening of grace keep your eyes out for i can begin to relax and i don't have to try so hard what is the effort that needs to be made is there something that really needs to be done other than putting your your uh your butt on the on the cushion and receiving grace i mean here's a dark, here's an, another one of my Dirty Secrets, that I really believe that the the main point of practice is to realize that it doesn't work and that you have to give up and surrender and that it's all God's grace. But you can't know that until you've tried your hardest. If you've tried only a little bit, you're always thinking, if I would have tried harder, then I could have gotten there. But it really is an act of grace. The awakening is an act of grace. One more question.
1: All right, this is hard. Um, This is, how can I feel supported by the mother when someone has trespassed on me or an old trauma is triggered? Okay, that's a
2: really great question. And a couple of answers. One is, you've got to go back to the beginning. What is your motivation? What do you really want in life? And if you want to be free in life, then you'll gradually get that even that trespassing Was grace that was showing you something it was making you stronger But at the same time it sure didn't feel like it when it was happening. It might not even feel like grace now It might feel dirty. It might feel awful and Uh, when I first started teaching this stuff with stephen levine We were talking about forgiveness. There were a lot of Younger women coming who had been sexually abused and could not forgive their perpetrators and uh, Even though they knew intellectually that that's what needed to happen And and stephen came up with this notion. Can you at least do this? this visualization or this uh, practice of I wish that you no longer be motivated by hatred that you think of the person who abused you And you just hope that they're no longer motivated by hatred and If there has been such a deep wound that you can't just surrender into forgiveness and compassion that it it really comes back then to Having compassion for that part of yourself that can't have compassion for the other person And again and again people have come to me and and said there is somebody that I cannot forgive That person abused me that person allowed me to be abused that person really hurt me and i try to forgive them because i know that that uh hatred is not a way to heal things but i can't get beyond how deeply i'm hurt and the instruction then is can you have compassion for that place in yourself and that eventually then there's enough healing at that level that you can begin to extend it i mean in some ways love and compassion are always for self But as practice deepens, what we think of as self begins to expand. Originally, self is me. I need to not suffer so much. But as we work with that smaller self, it becomes clear that self is everybody all the time.
1: That's great. Thank you. So, I want to before we go into the meditation, I would like to just do a couple of the announcements because I don't want to do them after um, do. Or when we're in that space. So um, I'll just let you all know that I'll be posting the Tonglin practice and other things on the Ramdas Fellowship Facebook group uh, pages. Also, this video will be up on the link and uh, the web page until May fourth and it's free and available for you to watch. Um you can also make donations, which is always very helpful. Um, And there's also going to be several more opportunities for fellowship and for connection in the coming weeks and months. We have a book reading and book club um, coming up. And so make sure you watch out for those. And if you're not already, sign up for the fellowship page by going to ramdas.org and searching fellowship. And then uh, Ramdev, you have a website as well, thelivingdyingproject.org. Is that right?
2: No. No. (laughs) What is it then? (laughs) Sorry about that.
1: Livingdying.org.org. okay, wonderful. So thank you all so much for being a part. Um, it's such a lovely treat to get to be with you all. So now we get to move into our meditation. Thank you so much for being here.
2: So do I really have to get done by 6.15, which is only three plus minutes here?
1: I say take as long as you need to for the meditation. Okay. Yeah.
2: And if people need to leave, fine. But I, I think if we're really <laughs> going to do this, we should take somewhere between five and ten minutes although i do want to say very clearly that i'm a great fan of a lot of super short sessions during the day instead of i i should meditate an hour at a time meditate 30 times at two minutes each and just really settle into the body just like you're going to your car you're going from room to room you're lying down to bed, you're chopping your vegetables, and can you become mindful, can you open your heart, can you feel that the vegetables are the mother, that the whole thing is is God? Okay, so, find a comfortable sitting position, bring your attention into your body, begin by looking at your motivation. What is it that you want? What is the most important thing? Why did you come to this meeting today? What is your heart's desire? What would you like to have happen, the most important thing, before you die? What does it even mean to you that you're going to die but you don't know when? Can that motivate a deeper surrender into these few moments together of practice? And with this motivation, then, please invoke that which you trust, the Christ, the Mother, the Buddha, your own true nature, the higher power. Please invoke that which allows you to trust that that which is arising in body and mind doesn't have to be fixed or improved, that you can more directly begin to meet that which is arising with a great sense of openness, And trust, relaxation, yet clarity. And letting this trust also be brought into your physical body by first taking a few grounding breaths. As you breathe out, imagine you can push down through the base of your torso into the earth that supports and nourishes, pushing down energy, receiving, grounding, supportive, nourishing energy from earth element, from the mother. Easy natural in-breath with each out-breath pushing down into the earth feeling your legs and your feet. And if there is resistance to being so far away from the mind that wants to be in charge, just notice that without letting it be a problem and with this next out-breath, dropping down through the base, inhabiting the root chakra. If you have a hard time feeling this, you can tighten the muscles in the perineum and the upper inner thigh adductor muscles. But it's not a muscular exercise, it's inhabiting a part of your energetic body that many of us have partly abandoned. The antidote to fear, trusting the sense of support. What does it feel like to be a bit more grounded? The mind settling, the body opening and relaxing. And then in a very similar way, dropping down into the lower belly, the hara becoming centered a few inches down below the navel, a few inches inside the front of the body, letting your identity drop down into your energetic and physical center of gravity, dropping down into the belly, almost as if you could pay attention from the belly, instead of paying attention to the belly, letting your identity drop down. Dropping down into the belly with each out-breath, almost as if you were dying from the mind into the center. The feeling of centeredness allows you to hear my voice, to feel other parts of your body, Thoughts images emotions may arise, but you're centered You're stable. You're not thrown off by activity So very briefly now we're We've explored being grounded and being centered. I would encourage you to spend a lot more time with these if it might seem productive for many people. Becoming embodied, deeply stabilizes meditation practice, but they are the foundation then, this embodied mindfulness to begin to open the heart. As if you could breathe into the center of your chest, as if there were nostrils in the center of your chest, Breathing in love, breathing in compassion, breathing out boundless spaciousness in all directions, to the front and the back, to the right, to the left, above and below. Breathing in love, compassion, breathing out spaciousness, the foundation of being grounded and centered allows you to bear the deep vulnerability and emptiness of the truly open heart. Breathing out into boundlessness with each exhalation. And then ask yourself is there a part of you that's been suffering lately that is available to be worked with? Might not be what the mind would expect, but asking from your heart is there something? that is ready to be brought into this healing process. Maybe it's a very deep woundedness, maybe possibly it's something that's not quite so deep. Either way, can you imagine that that part of you that's been suffering is seated a few feet in front of you. You can see how this part of you has been feeling by the expression on her or his face and the first part of this tonglen process is can you begin to feel how this part of you has been suffering not just imagine it but feel what you're imagining feel what you're remembering the meditating you is beginning to feel in this grounded centered open-hearted way the suffering of the suffering part of you. Feel it in your body, feel it in your mind, feel it as nakedly and directly as you're willing. Feel it more and more deeply until you become willing to have compassion. Compassion begins to naturally arise because you feel that suffering so acutely and your nature is compassion you begin to feel compassion, a deep wish, an open-hearted wish that the suffering you be free of suffering. And as you're breathing in and out with each breath, you're going more deeply into this feeling of compassion. A deep wish that she, that deep wish that he be free from suffering, be happy, be free. And compassion deepens and deepens until it gets to the point now where meditating you is becoming willing to take the suffering into you. And as you breathe in, you imagine that the suffering of suffering you is congealing, and with deep compassion, you take it in through every pore of your body, into your heart of hearts. And as you breathe out, you send the antidote with loving-kindness. You might want to use a visualization. I'm more of a feeling person than a visualizer. The main focus is on feeling compassion as you're taking on the in-breath and loving-kindness as you're sending the antidote on the out-breath. But you could visualize the suffering congealing as hot, dark smoke and the antidote is cool white light taking suffering with compassion on the in-breath Sending the antidote with loving-kindness on the out-breath You might notice that we're not fixing the bad stuff and converting it into the good stuff your heart is boundless We're just taking it realizing the boundless spacious empty nature of heart and sending the antidote with Boundless love. A deep wish that this part of you be free from suffering. Deep love for the part of you that has suffered. And in doing this, you're cutting at the root that place of you that's trying to avoid suffering, that needs to protect. And then imagine that this suffering you is joined by countless beings who are suffering in roughly approximately the same way that you are the same emotional situation the same physical situation whatever it might be that part of suffering you is now joined by countless other beings and once again taking the practice now from the personal to the impersonal to the collective working more with the quality of suffering than this part of you. Begin to feel how all these beings are suffering collectively. You know it so well because it is so similar to your own. All these people want to be happy just like you and everyone else wants to be happy. Feel their collective suffering. Feel it more and more acutely. Feel it more and more openly. Beyond imagining really feeling it so deeply that you begin to feel compassion for all of these beings a deep wish that each of them be free from suffering that each of them be whole taking the collective suffering with compassion on in-breath sending the antidote on the out-breath compassion for all these countless beings then finally wishing them and the suffering part of yourself a fond farewell, a loving farewell, they all dissolve into spaciousness, year back, meditating you, motivated, grounded, centered, supporting the open heart, the boundless heart, receiving grace through the heart with each breath. Sending out boundless compassion in infinite directions with each exhalation. Many people feel the most important part of meditation is right after the bell. How much can you, I, integrate into our daily life the sense of openness, the sense of trust, this willingness to surrender? Is it necessary that becoming active, getting involved in electronics or moving about, need distract us from that which is most important? What does it feel like right now? What is the most important thing? May all beings be free from fear. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free. Thank you also very much. It's been a real privilege to be with you. If you get in any deep or confused place through these teachings, feel free to send me an email, which is plastered on every page of the website, livingdying.org. And thank you, Jackie, for being such a great host and for uh jrn monlam for doing the technical end uh the love server member foundation is really carrying on these profoundly wonderful teachings of ramdas and of maharaji uh the dharma is such a gift that it's almost hard to imagine hmm. approaching the pandemic without teachings without the ability to practice without having the tools to work with fear and anxiety and and despair so it is my great gift that i had the opportunity to be with so many wonderful beings and have these teachings and being able to share them and uh i honor each of you in in your practice and wish you all the very best thank you